0: All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Um, I am excited to bring the word of God to you this morning. Um, I'm a big fan of this kind of popcorn called Boom Chicka Pop. It's sweet and salty together. It is fantastic. And it's on sale at Aldi. So yesterday I went to Aldi. I feel like there's a stand-up comedian act that I just started. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Believe me, <there's> no. <laughs> So <laughs> I went to Aldi yesterday and bought um, Boom, a pop, because it's so good, and it's on sale, so if you want to get some. But I, I also went to Redbox, because I've been wanting to watch the movie Harriet so bad, but I missed it in the theaters, and then every time I went to the one here, it was out of stock. So I finally, I got the movie Harriet, and I got popcorn. So I took a picture of both of them together. I sent it to my mom. I said, tomorrow? Question mark. And she's like, yes. <laughs> and I started to think about how long it's been since I actually went and got a Redbox, because now we have Disney+. Plus Who has Disney+, yeah. Uh, it kind of lasts its luster, but it's still good. Um, Netflix, you have Amazon Prime Movie. You have all these different options on watching movies. And so what happens now with movies for me is I can start watching a movie and be like, eh, turn it off and just move to the next one, right? Because if, it, if the plot's not moving along, I have other options. But with Redbox, you pick a movie and you're stuck with it. Like, that's your movie that you're going to watch. So I know Harriet's going to be good. We're going to be awesome. But... Um, I feel like sometimes with our Christianity, we've gotten to the same place where um, it's no longer that we've chosen God and this is how it's going to be. We have all these options. We have all like, oh, I'm going to pause this. I'll come back to it. Oh, I'll never mind this. I got this. It's almost like a salad bar of options for our Christianity. And we pick this and leave that and pick this and leave that. And today I want to talk about choosing God alone and sticking with it. So let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that your word doesn't go out and come back with no change. God, I thank you that your word doesn't come back void, but it's powerful. And so God, today as we dive into your word, God, I pray that it would take root in the depths of who we are. God, I pray that we would not leave this area that we're sitting in right now the same. But God, I pray that your word would change our hearts and our lives. God, that your word would come alive in us and bring hope. God, I pray that not one person would leave this room without hope this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak through me. God, I ask that the words that come forth would be from you. God, move in our hearts. Prepare each one of us now to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read from the book of Job, and this is not going to be up on the screen, but uh, in the book of Job in chapter 38, God is speaking to Job, and he is uh, talking about Who he is. Job had been doubting a little. And Job is about to hear from God. God talking straight to Job about who he is. I'm going to skip around a little bit. But in Job chapter 38, the Lord says to Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Verse 11, have you ever given orders for the morning or shown the dawn its place that it may take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Verse 16, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Verse 23, who cut a channel for the torrents of rain and a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an uninhabited desert? Chapter 39, verse 19, do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust, striking terror with its proud snorting, its paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength and changing into the fray? Verse 26, does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Verse 27, does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its stronghold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. God is speaking to Job, saying, Job, we've got to put back in order here who God is versus who you are. We've got to kind of remember here that we can't look at God as something smaller than ourselves or something that we can direct. God directs us. And we would all say, Outwardly, that God is bigger than us and God is in charge. Let's dive a little bit more deep into this. Let's look really quick at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. This is the wisdom of God, the God that told the ocean where to stop and not go any further, the God who set the earth in motion, the God who made everything work, then comes to this and says, Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The one who tells the eagle where to fly, the one who has done all these things, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Here's what he did on the cross. Let's switch, switch over to Colossians. The God who set eagles to where they should fly, the God of the universe made himself a man, came down to earth, made himself nothing and said, when you were dead in your sin and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive you were dead and he made you alive in christ he forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us he has taken it away nailing it to the cross and disarmed the powers and the authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them on the cross this is the wisdom of god not only the god who created everything but the god who came down into humanity and then the God who saved us. We were dead in our sins, and he made us alive. So we're going to step right back into the book of Job. We're going to talk for a little bit about Job. Job went through some dreadful things. He had some friends come when those dreadful things happened, and they gave him really bad advice. They did not show kindness to him. And Job... Trusted God anyway. We're going to sit for the rest of this. this. Well, first, let's, let's look at Job. If you're not familiar with Job, I would encourage you to read that meaty little book. It's awesome. It is awesome. In the book of Job, Job is a righteous man who has everything. He's got seven children, or seven sons and three daughters. He's got a wife. He's got cattle. He's got houses. He's got everything he could possibly need. He's got friends. He loves God so much that he was making sacrifices for his kids to God, even uh, just in case they had done something that was displeasing to God. He was a righteous man. And one day, a servant came to him and said, All your cattle have been. Been taken by raiders. One day, someone came to him on the same day and said, um, your, all your children were meeting together in the house of your oldest son, and wind came from the four corners, and the, the house fell down, and all of your children are dead. In the same day, a servant came to him and said, all of your servants have been captured. Everything you have is no more. And Job was stricken with boils all over his body. Until he was sitting on an ash heap covered in boils, all alone, scraping the boils off of his skin with a piece of broken pottery, the Bible records. And his friends come. His friends were religious people, they were righteous people, they were his friends. And they come and they sit with him and they look at him and they're like, Job, this must be your fault. Let's look at your life, Job. Let's find out where you must have gone wrong. This is all on you. His wife comes to him and says, Job, just give up. Get over this. Let's settle in here on Job chapter 6. We're going to look at 14 through 21. I know that some of us have had those experiences, that experience where you feel like the floor has dropped out under you. you feel like, oh, I was not expecting this to happen, and it happened. I was not expecting for my life to turn like this negative way, and it turned in this negative way. I wasn't expecting for this heartache, but this heartache came. And Job's friends gather around him, and they're telling him that there must be something wrong with him in order for this to happen, because the justice of God would not allow for a righteous man to go through a hard time. So let's read together Job 6, 14 through 21. Job answers back to his friend. So his friend gives him this this speech, and Job answers back, and he says to his friends, he says, Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are undependable as intermittent streams, as streams that overflow. When darkened by thawing ice and swollen with melting snow, But they stop flowing in the dry season, and in the heat they vanish from their channels. Caravans turn aside from their routes, they go off into the wasteland and perish. The caravans of Tima look for water, the traveling merchants of Sheba look in hope. Listen here. Verse 20, they are distressed because they had been confident. They arrived there only to be disappointed. Now you too have proved to be of no help. You have seen something dreadful and you're afraid. Job says in this, you're not very good friends. It's even worse because I thought you were going to be a help. I thought you were going to be a source for me. I thought you were going to be a river of help, and you've disappointed me. You look at me on this ash heap with my boils and my kids dead and my stuff gone, and you're dreadful. You look at this dreadful situation, and you look at me, and you're afraid of me because this is too ugly. This is too much of a situation. I'm just going to step away from you now. You must be bad. Have any of you been there? Have you ever been, Job? Have you ever been the friends that have looked at a situation and been like, I'm not touching that. I'm not touching that. That's their fault. It's got to be their fault. I'm staying away. Job says, you've disappointed me. This is what the Lord spoke to me. You can't be disappointed in something that you had never appointed as your hope. You can't be disappointed in something that you've never appointed hope to. So what Job had done is he had put his hope in his friends. He appointed his hope to his friends. He appointed his hope on something other than God. You can't be disappointed in something if you haven't appointed hope in it. Many times we appoint hope on people when God's saying, fix your trust on me. He's the one who made the earth. He's the one that didn't consider heaven something to be obtained but came down as a man. He's the one that took you from death to life. He's the one that we fix our hope on. His hope is an anchor for our souls. His hope is a hope that doesn't change with circumstances or shifting shadows. God is not afraid of us sitting on an ash heap Taking boils off with pottery, he's not afraid of our dirty situations. Our hope needs to be appointed in God. Job went through some dreadful things. His friends' advice was off. They did not show kindness, but Job trusted God anyway. There's Job sitting on this pile of ashes. Everything is a disaster. And he says in Job chapter 19 as his friends have disappointed, as his stuff is gone, as everything is dim and dark, he says, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. And even if he slay me, still I will hope in him. Years ago, I was going through a situation that it was a one-day kind of situation. Just like Job, Job the servants came to me and said, Everything's different. I had a situation like that in my life. And something had happened that, you know, when the floor drops out under you, you feel like you've been punched in the stomach. You feel like you're doubled over. You feel like this can't be my life. This is not, this is not it. And I was sitting in that moment and I didn't know what to do. And so I called my pastor's wife and I said, Hey. I gotta talk to you, I gotta meet with you. This isn't even a phone call. I'm not okay. And I went and I met with her, I explained the situation, and she is a great woman of God, and she reached over and she prayed for me. And I left. But I left really mad. That wasn't enough. I wanted her to see me through it. I wanted her to call me and walk me through it. I wanted her to make it better. I wanted her to fix it. And that had happened, and it came to be Sunday, and John was like, I understand if you can't go to church. I understand if the pain is too great to walk through those doors. And I said what Job said. I know my Redeemer lives. This situation is bad. I was depending on people, and they're not supposed to come through for me like God's supposed to come through for me. And I remember worshiping God with both my hands raised, with tears that wouldn't stop flowing, and I couldn't even catch my breath, but I was going to worship my God because my hope was anchored in him. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about verse 20. If you could put verse 20 up there, Kira. It says, they are distressed because they had been confident. They arrive there only to be disappointed. So they, when he was describing that long thing in, in chapter 6, when he was describing how caravans, would, there was this stream of water, and they, they had seen it. So they figured if they would veer off, the the main road, and come to this place, they would find water, but when they got there, there was nothing. Sometimes we look at people, and we think there's this pool of water, and if I can just hang out with this person, if this person would just pray for me, if I could just get to that pool of water, we get there, and it's a mirage. It doesn't have the depth that we thought it had. It doesn't have the backbone that we thought it would have. They are distressed because they had been confident. They arrived there only to be disappointed. Job arrived with his friends who he thought would bring wisdom and comfort only to be disappointed. I arrived at a place in my life where I was just disappointed. To shake your fist at God. In deep situations, we can question all kinds of things. All kinds of things that we thought, this is the way the world works. And then something Changes it, and we're like, God, what's going on? How is this going to be fixed? We go through stuff. Every single one of us goes through stuff. And people see us going through our stuff. And we want those people to be there and get us through. But this morning, I want to propose to you to fix your trust on God. Not saying that there won't be people that will be kind to you or won't be people that will come alongside and help you. But our anchor is not people. Our God is God. Our hope is in God. Jesus is the one who came from heaven. Jesus is the one who brought us from death to life. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some men trust in chariots, some men trust in horses, but I trust in the name of the Lord. Which leads us to March 1st, 2020. Your situation in your life that you're dealing with, your situation improving does not depend on me. It depends on God. Your spirituality does not depend on whether the worship team sings the songs you like or not. Your spirituality does not depend on if I preach the message that just hits right there in your heart. Because God says he is your friend that sticks closer than a brother, because God says he is the one that will be there in your time of need. If you seek him, you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. And what we tend to do is we say, hey, I'm going to salad bar my Christianity, and I'm going to go and pick this and pick this, and I think, You know what will be helpful for me? A good Stephen Furtick sermon. You know what will be helpful for me? If I just turn on Hillsong all day. You know what will be helpful for me? If I go to this church, if I go to that event, if I go. Your hope has to be in Jesus. These are supplements. These are supplements to your faith. They are good. They are helpful. But your hope, your anchor has to be Jesus alone. It's scary how many times we're pausing a movie and picking a different one. It's scary how many times we're picking other things and putting our hope in celebrity pastors and we're putting our hope in in hoping that the worship team just tickles that that itch that we have or that right song or that right thing or if the greeters are nice to me. (laughs) If somebody comes up and talks to me just the right way, then Jesus loves me. If the seats are comfortable, Jesus loves me. Guys, No matter what happens, if this building were to be gone tomorrow, Jesus loves you. If everyone in this room turns their back on you, Jesus loves you. He is the anchor for your soul. Now, our hope is that this building won't burn down and everyone here will be super nice to you and kind and say just the right thing at just the right time and get you a gift for your birthday and be there for But if they don't, Job on an ash heap scraping boils off his own arms, says, I know my Redeemer lives. And that is the cry of my heart. That should be the cry of your heart. I know who my God is. We may think that things were supposed to go a certain way, and tragically they didn't, because of ourselves or someone else. And here's what we tend to do with God. God. The God of the universe, the one about the eagles, the one who came to earth, the one who forgave our sins. We tend to make him less than he actually is. We have had the privilege of having uh, TJ and Jackie in our lives and moved back here recently. And they have a seven-year-old daughter named Aria. And Aria and I are both, I'm trying to see if TJ's in here, he's not in here. Aria and I are both strong people we are both pretty opinionated but we have a lot of fun together and you won't believe what it is that has bonded us together cooking she comes over she's like auntie jill what are we cooking and we'll go into the kitchen i'm not a big cook or anything but the two of us we just she gets so excited we chop things we we make things or simple things but we really enjoy cooking together and so she'll come over and she wants to chop the potatoes right so, okay, here's a little knife. I'm right here with you. You're chopping the potatoes. As soon as she's done, I say things to her like, okay, Ari, why don't you go in the bathroom and wash your hands? As soon as she's gone, I fix up those potatoes real good because she didn't do a great job, and I plop them in. <laughs> I try to go back around and try to fix whatever, you know, things that just weren't, weren't right. She does fine. I mean, it, really w- it would be okay if she did it, but I'm o- obviously a little bit older, and I can get it right. We, tr- it's, it's funny, but we treat God that way. God, we treat God like as if they're a seven-year-old aria. God, you can help me out in my bad situation. You can help. Jesus, you can, you can chop the potatoes, but I, I'm going to come back and fix this. I'm going to just, I'm going to just come around. I'm going to just, I'm going to just... God, I know you're in control of this situation, but I'm going to, I think I know better. I'm going to call this person. I'm just going to go, I'm just going to, is God smart enough for you? Do we trust God enough to get it right in your situation? In your hard situation, do you trust God enough? to get it right. Now, obviously, God is much smarter than Aria. I'm not saying God is like a seven-year-old. I'm saying that we can't treat God like a seven-year-old who sometimes gets it right, sometimes gets it wrong, and I'll help him if he doesn't do it my way. <sighs> Let that sit with us for just a minute. God, you sometimes do it right. I've seen you sometimes do it wrong, so I'm going to help you out. There's a part in Job where, he said, where God is speaking to Job and he says, you see just this part, but I, you see just on the horizon, but I see the whole world. In Psalm chapter 1, the, the verse says, why do the nations rage? God sits in heaven and laughs. laughs because he sees more, he knows more. So when we start to question God or sh- try to help God out, it's because we don't understand what he's doing. We might not understand it for a few months, a few years. We might not understand why the situation happened to us this side of eternity. But I know my Redeemer lives, and if he slay me, still I will put my hope in him. I am not wiser than God. So Job went through some dreadful things. His friend's advice was way off. They didn't show him kindness, but he trusted God anyway. Now you, when you go through something dreadful. My invitation is that you would trust God anyway. Now, what about how we treat other people? We said that we can't put our hope in other people. We can't Uh, bank our Christianity on other people, on pastors, on on anyone else but on God. But how is it then that we should treat others? How should those friends have reacted to Job? And we're going to look at Job uh, in the second verse that I have up there, Kira. It says, Now you too have proved to be no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. If we choose to disassociate with everyone who has ever faced trials in their lives, then we would disassociate with everyone in this room. We would disassociate even with ourselves. People go through stuff. We're all faced with tragedy, sin, and we're all Christ followers, and yet we face these things. But we have the same questions as before when we look at somebody else's life. We look at the mess that they're in, and we think, I wonder if God will do a good job with their disaster, or maybe I should help, (laughs) right? I wonder if God will come through, and because I don't trust God and I'm not sure, I'm gonna to try to step in in front of God. Is God wise enough to handle depression, divorce, job loss, cancer? Is God big enough to handle those things, or should, should I step in? Is God big enough to, to handle the betrayal that they're facing? drug use, family issues, maybe I should step in with my wisdom and fix it. God's wiser. We have to seek God. We want to be like that river that when they run to us, when someone's going through something really difficult, that they're not afraid to come to us, and when they come to us, that we're not just a mirage, but we're truly filled with the Spirit of God. And the only way to truly be filled with the Spirit of God is to seek God on our own. Could you imagine if we thought of all of our kids and we said, you know, I send my child to children's church one hour um, a week, and so that should be good enough to train them to be good Christians. We're giggling because that's not true. There's 24 hours in a day. How many hours in a week? And we think one hour a week is going to train them with everything they need for their Christianity. That's ridiculous. And so here we too sit with our one hour on a Sunday. Is this enough to train us to be godly? Surely not. We have to seek God so that when other people come to us or we see people in a situation that we're able to go to them with godliness instead of with our own opinion and our own wisdom. Because God has wisdom far above ours. God's wisdom is that he would send his son as a servant. God's wisdom is that he may send us as a servant. God's wisdom is that he may say, send us to lay down our lives for someone else. The beginning part of that, that verse in, in Job chapter 6 is, is so pointed. It says, anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Have you ever withheld kindness from someone sitting with boils? The only reason for us to withhold kindness is our own pride and and our our real real realization that we don't fear God. If we realized what God did for us, we wouldn't withhold any bit of kindness from any person ever. The only reason we withhold kindness is because we don't have a, a fear of God. We want to be those people that have proved to be of help. Those people who are a stream that is a stream. So when people come to us, they really can find hope. And we want to just keep pointing people to Jesus. Because I am not the answer to your problems. Jesus is. We can pray for people. We can love people. We can have the fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus has to be the anchor for our hope. We need the gathering of the saints. But our gathering has to be to talk about the goodness of God, not the wisdom of each other, the wisdom of God. Many times we look at church and we say, it it has become that thing on a red box where we're like, oh, boring, go into the next movie. The church is not about entertainment. The church, could you imagine if you came in next week And there were no words on the screen for us to follow. Imagine, I don't want to say this, but imagine if that thing broke. (laughs) And there were no words. Could we still worship God? Could you for weeks and weeks and weeks, imagine if we didn't have chairs Imagine if we didn't have microphones or a good parking lot. or What is it that brings the saints together? It has to be under the umbrella of Jesus alone. Not our entertainment, not how well people preach, how well people sing, how, what people greet us or don't greet us or go over to our house during the week or not. Those are all important things. But the most important thing that gathers us is God. To say that we don't need each other, is to say that we don't need the church. But the, the interesting thing is that when you go back to Colossians and you realize that Jesus laid down his life and made us a Christian, the day became, you, you were brought from death to life, the day that you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the day that you became a Christian, you became the church. So you could call me Jill or you could call me church. You could call uh, any one of us by our first name or you could call them church because we are the church. And we are the bride of Christ and God designed it that we would come together and encourage one another. God designed it that we would come together and lift one another up, carry one another's burdens, pray for one another, be there for one another, be in community with each other. But he never designed it that we would become gods to each other. He never designed it that people would put their hope in a pastor or people would put their hope in how comfortable things felt for them or people would put their hope in what great programming happened at a church. God's design is that we would come together as the priesthood of believers, that we would come together all having been in the presence of God and we would have come together to share what God was speaking to us. And when somebody was down, we could help lift them up and encourage them to go to God. To say, I hate the church, is to say, I hate myself. It means that you have appointed hope to people rather than God, and in that you will always be disappointed. When somebody else is going through something dreadful, be so full of God so that you can show kindness and not be afraid of the mess. Trust God's wisdom and trust God to handle the issues. Today, this is an invitation to trust God. God is divine, like we heard at the beginning of the sermon, where he told the oceans where to stop, where he put the cornerstone of the earth where it should be. God is divine. Job went through some dreadful things. His friend's advice was way off. They did not show him kindness. But Job trusted God anyway. You, when you go through something dreadful, trust God anyway. When other people are going through something dreadful, be so full of God that you can show kindness and not be afraid of their mess. Trust God's wisdom and trust God to handle the issues. Because Jesus is that source that does not run dry. He is not a mirage that doesn't come through. He is more than enough for every ache and hurt and pain in your heart. And I believe that most of us are here this morning with discouragement and disappointment in other people. And I believe that God today wants to take us to a place of forgiveness. That God today wants to say, remember who I am, the God of the universe. Remember what I did. I, the God of the universe, came down in the form of a man. I came down out of heaven here to be a servant to you. I came and nailed every one of your sins on the cross and overcame every darkness, broke every chain. And today, are we sitting here with unforgiveness to somebody else? Have we put our hope in somebody else and they've disappointed us? And today, would you consider an invitation to trust God to take care of it? Would you consider the invitation to let it go? To give it to God? Not that what other people have done to us that have been hurtful has no consequence, but that's up to God, not us. Who are we to uh, appoint a consequence? We would be just like Job's friends. Job, you must have done something wrong. Many people have faced hurt when they've gathered with other believers in churches, when they've gathered with other saints. Many of us have found times where we have put our hope in someone and they haven't come through. They have disappointed us. I want today for us to appoint our hope to God. I'm going to take my trust and say, God, I know my Redeemer lives. The end of Job ends like this. Job 42, verse 10. So all this bad stuff happens to Job. Job has this conversation with his friends. His friends are not great um, helps to him. And they say, you must have done something wrong. Job's wife said, curse God and die. Just give up. Just stop. Job has this conversation with the Lord, and he's like, you know, God, I haven't done anything. Where is your justice in this situation? And God reminds Job about who he is. We get to the epilogue, the end of the story. Now, many of us right now in our lives are not at the epilogue. Many of us are smack dab in the middle of what God's working out or doing in our lives. So we're not to this point yet. But here's what happens at the end of the story of Job. Verse 10, it says, you ready for this? No one's going to like this. There was a time where I was so angry at a certain actual person I was so angry at one person that all I could do was read the Bible. And I read the Bible, and I think I've shared this with you. I read the entire Bible in three months because I was so angry. And I couldn't get over it. And I couldn't let my hurt go. And so I began to read the Old Testament. I was like, yeah, God, get him. (laughs) And I would read, and I'd get so excited. And I would just, yeah. And then as I got to the gospel, God said, Jill, maybe you should look at your own self. Oh, no, he's bad. But Jill, aren't you just as bad? No, he's worse. <laughs> and as the gospel softened my heart through tears, and not because I wanted to, but because God showed me love, I forgave. And then, a week later, I had to forgive again and forgive again and forgive again until my heart caught up, till my mind caught up to the forgiveness that I had given to this person. Because how could I not forgive when God had forgiven me? Uh, You're not going to like this. (laughs) Job 42.10. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. After Job prayed for his friends... Those are the friends that I would take off my Facebook list and would kind of stay away from. From, the, They're done. I mean, in my time of need, they deserted me. In the moment where I hoped that that pastor's wife would call me, in that moment where I hoped that she would come sit by me in church, in that moment where I, where I hoped that she would maybe at least bring me some soup or something. Prayed for his friends. This morning... I believe that God wants us to take the heaviness of people we haven't forgiven and saying, God, I forgive them. Because they're not who I put my hope in. We have to appoint our hope to God. We have to fix our trust on him. So this morning, not only can I sympathize, with hating someone. Not only can I sympathize with bitterness, which at one time in my life I let creep in and live inside of me, not only can I sympathize with hurts being done to me and hurts that I've done to other people, I can empathize because I've been there. And this morning, I would love the opportunity to pray with you, but more importantly than me praying with you, I would love for God to just begin to touch our hearts and our minds And that maybe it's somewhere in your seat right now where you have to just do some business between you and God and say, God, I forgive this person. God, I put hope in this person and they disappointed me. God, I thought this person was going to be a stream to me. I thought they were going to be my hope and they weren't. Maybe this morning you... Need to ask God for forgiveness for withholding kindness, for seeing someone you could have been kind to, but you're like, you know what? Mm, That's too messy. It's their own fault. I'm leaving them over there. Maybe this morning it's time to do business with God and just say, God, forgive me for the way I've treated other people. But ultimately, the umbrella of all of it is that we want to appoint our trust to God that no matter what comes our way, no matter what disappointment, no matter what season we face, I know my Redeemer lives. And even if he slay me, I will put my hope in him because I know that I'm a citizen of heaven and not of this world. I'm just passing through. The enemy can't take me out with another person being mean to me, even though it hurts deeply. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm done praying, if you want to come uh, to the altar to pray up to the front to pray, I want to come around and pray for you. But sometimes, sometimes we need to do it just in our seats. Sometimes it's just between us and God. Other times, uh, it's just like we had that actual bread in our hands, an actual cup of juice. It was a symbol of something that went on inside of us. And sometimes for for me, and maybe it's for you, is that just taking that little would move in our hearts. That your Holy Spirit would begin to touch each and every person that needs to move towards forgiveness. God, I believe that when we forgive, there's such more room in our heart for your love and your peace. So God, for those of us that have been carrying around the weight of unforgiveness, God, I pray today would be the day that it would break off. God, I pray for each person who's struggling right now saying, No, I can't do it. I can't forgive that person. God, remind us of your love for us. God, remind us of what you've done for us. What you did is so much bigger than what we'll do in these next few moments in forgiving. God, I pray for those of us who have withheld kindness, who have looked at hard situations and said, No, I'm not touching that. God, give us compassion. I can't imagine, God, if you had said that about me. If you had looked at my situation, you said, I'm not touching that. That girl's too messed up. That girl's too bad. That girl's too shameful. But, God, you stepped into my life. God, I pray that we would step in with kindness to other people. God, thank you for gathering us here this morning. God, thank you for your word, which is truth and hope to us. And now, God, we ask that you have your way. Speak to us, God. Speak to each and every one of us. God, I pray that these altars would be filled with people who want to let stuff go. Because, God, when we let it go, we have the freedom then to go and to be hope for other people. Our forgiveness builds a testimony of what you've done. So, God, I ask that you would have your way now among your people. In Jesus' name.